Yeah, let's talk about Arbok. Right. So, do you have any strong memories of Arbok? Do I have any strong memories of Arbok? So, yeah. um, I definitely remember um, Arbok more than I remember Ekins. Um, mm -hmm. The So, the things that jump out to me as things that I remember... Um, I remember it having like a needle attack in the anime where it would like open up mm -hmm. itself and like white needles would come out of it, which I always thought looked That'd cool. be pin needle attack. Is that pin needle? Well, I remember needle. thinking that that was like a pretty cool animation. Mm -hmm. um, and the fact that um, depending on which region you're in, they change the uh, the pattern on its uh, on its hood. Yeah, I do love that. I love, I do, I, like, this is one of those things, I love where they have, like, regional nuance. And I don't mean, like, different regional forms, which are also cool, and when they got introduced, I was into it. Um, but the, the regional nuance where the Arbok is exactly the same, like, the range of stats and sizes is all going to be the same, but depending on where you catch your Arbok, it looks different. I love that. I think that's that's such a cool little detail to to make the world feel a bit more real yeah and is that and that was the thing that i was thinking about when i was doing my pictures i was like which arbok am i gonna do and i think you know in the end i did go with like the og because that's the one i i remember the most yeah. um but yeah well that was gonna be my question because i assume that you would know the answer to this is that something that they have brought through to the 3D games, the the regional variants for Arbok? Yeah, I be yes, I believe so. Like, I don't know how detailed it is in the new games. Um, but, like, I know that... I also really like the thought put into the different designs. Because if you look at, like, the OG... Arbok, where it's got like the big sweep of black and then it's got two like almond shaped red and yellow bits it's designed to look like a face yeah. so it's designed to be threatening yeah. which like mimics predators in the real animal kingdom as well mm -hmm. so like other snakes there was that i saw a thing floating around the internet that's like the backs of tiger's ears have black patches on so that anything sneaking up on the tiger thinks the tiger can see it because it gets mistaken for eyes. Oh, That's fucking cool. cool. Um, but like, and I like how the different Arbok designs um, look like different faces yeah. and they look like um, different creepy faces. I think there's one that almost looks a bit like a haunter with its like point where it's got some points for its mouth um and i do like that the the options that you get for different arbox just there are some quite distinct variants mm. that I, I just think the designs are fantastic yeah well I, I believe snakes are like one of the creatures that we have a lot of subconscious um like go-tos um so if something looks like a snake um we there's a certain subconscious trigger to make us not not everyone but like a lot of people and animals scared of if you think it's a snake um, yes and that's one of the reasons why cats ears fold back because uh it makes their head look more like a snake's head ah, yeah i get that that makes sense yeah um yeah, I do really, I think, yeah, I think that the Arbok uh, designs are, hang on, I'm just having a look now. So there's 1, 2, 5, 10, 13. I don't think it's 13. I think Jesse's Arbok is the same as the main pattern Arbok. But if you, yeah, so according to Bulbapedia, there are like, um, it looks like 12 different designs and they all look like creepy faces and they're all fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and there, there are some that appear in like Pokemon cards. There are some that appear in like, there's one that only appears in like Pokemon Ranger. 
which I think is really interesting. Like, I like that they have spread it out across um, the different forms of media. Um, so, Anna, we'll, we'll get to the Pokedex entries later, but because we're talking about this now, um, in the... And it also shows, like, the progression as, um, you know, Pokemon knowledge evolves over time and develops. In Pokemon Yellow, Pokedex entry says there are six patterns, but in Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, uh, it says there are known to be more than 20. Um, So apparently eight distinct designs are known and have circulated Four have appeared in the games, yeah. but only three in main series games. But they are frequently referenced um, throughout uh, the other media. Like Agatha has a distinct-looking Arbok, and Koga has a distinct-looking Arbok, which I think is is cool. You know, I think when you're having a game or a show like this where things frequently look the same, having a way to distinguish, um, you know, the one you're supposed to be paying attention to while you watch the show is uh, is useful. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Um, And where I'm assuming that it's going to be different because like there'll be lots of different variants for Pikachu. But um, yes, but like. It will have made. This has been a very specific point that it's made that that, that it has different uh, variations. Whereas I'm guessing that I'm guessing that Pikachu is going to have a lot of different like Pokedex entries and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Like it, it won't be specifically in in the Hawaiian Islands or what we're dubbing as the Hawaiian Islands. It's got blue eyes, a la that episode of the anime. Yeah. The blue-eyed Pikachu. Um, yeah. Whereas this, they're making a specific point of the variations. Um, um, the other thing that I think of when I think of Arbok, and I mentioned it in the uh, drawings, is that um, I want to say Arbok is the first Pokemon that we come across that that um, like we know canonically dies. Yes. And and that for me is like one of those probably one of those turning points of the um, that like they could have gone down a, a darker route with it but chose not to, um, and I sometimes think of you know like there's a lot of I feel like that imagery of the the cut in half Arbok that is quite clearly dead um, used uh, for like memes I feel like it it is kind of penetrated the kind of the the digital culture for Pokemon more so yeah to that image from the manga yeah very much so I think like that image of the Arbok being cut in half it has circulated I think it's like one of the first things I ever saw that showed me how much darker the manga is than the show and the games um and even with you know, Marowak dying being a key plot point in the first game. Uh, the Arbok being like slashed in half was so much more graphic. Yeah. That like, oh yeah, I remember that like floating around school and people being like, "Have you seen this? Have you seen how grim the Pokemon manga is? Oh my god!" You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, what what I initially think of when I think of Arbok. Uh, I, I feel like I've I've not particularly had one on my team. Um, um, like I've had one, but I've it's just gone straight in a box. Yeah, I'm the same. Um, but yeah, like I think. I don't, well, I was going to say I'm not a huge poison type user, apart from Crobat. If I'm going to have a poison type on my team, it's going to be Crobat. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I haven't really used Arbok. I've got one in every game because I like to complete the Pokedex, but that's it. I have never really played competitively with Arbok. Yeah. 
And I mean, I'm I'm different. Where I mean, I've mentioned it on this podcast. Like I I like poison type. Uh, I think it's I think it's like a cool concept. Um, like it relates to the real world. And I also like the fact that you can like poison. Uh, you can poison your enemy, and it like is draining it regardless of, um, regardless of what uh like what your Pokemon does, and even if that Pokemon faints, the poison's still taking effect, you know, unless they like sort it out. But even though I like Poison type, even in Gen One, I think that there are other options. Um, like, yeah, I mean, Bulbasaur is well, Bulbasaur is like uh, like Grass Poison type. It's like mm-hmm. the chances of me swapping out for that is very unlikely. Uh, Vile Plume, which has like been one of my Vile Plume ones. again. Like I think they're like, good because even in like the first generation when <clears throat> they technically weren't dual type because you'd only get single types in the first generation. The fact that they had such a wide range of both grass and poison type moves made them really useful compared to um you know pokemon that do stick to a single type even if they were later given a dual type um and yeah like yeah arbok wouldn't be one that i went for if i was even if i was even if i was picking from those early generations and like you know crowbat was introduced in gen 2 and it's been my partner ever since um in gen 1 I don't know if I really used poison types much at all. Like, I remember Koga being a fucking beast. Yeah. But I don't really remember. But then again, Gen 1, I played it when I was a very small child and I just had like a behemoth of an over leveled starter do everything for me. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't put much thought into strategy uh, that much at the time. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, and I still do somewhat to the to this day. Like, I am not that keen yeah. on put. At least I wasn't then, and I'm still not now. I wasn't that keen on uh, moves that did not take damage. Yes, um, and I think, I think, of all of the status based moves, poison is my favorite because, like. Paralysis is the worst because it might you can be paralyzed and it might still attack you. Um, And usually, if my Pokemon is paralyzed, it's fucking dead and useless. And if my enemy's Pokemon is paralyzed, it can do a backflip and still hit me. Like, uh. Uh, paralysis, paralysis, fucking shit. Um, I think poison is the best one because although it doesn't prevent you from prevent them from trying to attack you, yeah, like you said, it can it can wear away at you. Toxic is an incredible move because it it not just continues to poison you, it poisons you by incre- incrementally larger amounts. So in like five moves, that Pokemon's fucking gone. Yeah. Um, if if you know you last five moves to wear it off, um, but normally I like I again I like a move that does damage, yeah. like while it's causing a status affliction so i like some like this is why i like like crowbat i like like poison fang and i like cross poison uh because they do damage with a chance of poison i think toxic is the exception because it gets exponentially more impactful with each move but any like of but like i wouldn't keep say like poison powder or something like that and even at like lower levels poison sting is pretty good because it's not the strongest move but it still does damage with the potential for poison and i would yeah. definitely lean towards one of those yeah. than yeah. yeah something else yeah well i mean my, i my personal uh like attack strategy normally if i've got a poison like grass poison type usually you know um um because i i think we're the same where it's like it's like I'd rather have dual types than like single types. It's like why wouldn't I just like double? Yeah. Type? Um, I, I realize we're gonna get like some some way more hardcore like battle fans stumble across this one day and say we're fucking like amateurs for like the extent of our strategy just being typing. <laughs> yeah. Well, what can, what can I say? Uh, you know, 
send all of your uh, send all of your hate mail to our Patreon, please. <laughs> um, so, um, so I like to. Um, I've had this um, this method for for Bulbasaur. Um, so uh, poison. Uh, I want to say poison powder um, and leech seed. Um, followed by um, and then start using like vine whips, um, vine whips, uh, giga drains and stuff like that. So that's that's yeah. how I like to do. It. I like to poison them so that they've got that uh, chipping away at them. And then me using moves that's also chipping away, but also yeah. giving like health back. Yeah, I do. I do like that. Grass types have that. Obviously, like uh, Mega Drain, Giga Drain. When Leech Life went from having thirty base attack to ninety base attack, it became such an OP move. Like as a kid, I hated Leech Life because when it, when you were fighting the Zubats. It took well fucking long to kill the Zubats because they kept using Leech Life. But when you had a Zubat that you wanted to use, Leech Life was a piece of shit move that yeah. wasn't worth it. Like, I don't know how. Don't know how that always fucking happened. Um, but now, now that Leech Life has gone from one of the weakest moves in the game to one of the strongest moves in the game, and it recovers your HP, oh my god, my Crobat's keeping Leech Life finally. Mm. Uh, I mean, I've, I, I've been in that situation. I, I feel like across loads of games, and it, it's like the thing that's used against you will be absolutely tanked once once you get it. Yeah. Um. I mean, you probably come across that more so than me. You liking crowbats. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas. That's, yeah, I feel like with a lot of Pokemon, even if I'm like, oh, I'm going to try and mix it up this time. If their learn set at low levels is not good, I'll end up using something else until they've leveled up a bit. And then I won't want to use them because I'm accustomed to using something else. Like I did a, a playthrough of something, Let's Go Eevee, where I was like, I haven't used Fero very much. I always default to Pidgeot because Pidgey has a better learn set. So I'm going to try and use Fero this time. Yeah. And I didn't. I still ended up defaulting to Pidgey because Pidgey had a better learn set at a younger age. And I was like, it's fine. I'll, just, I'll switch it out later. And I didn't want to because I connected with that Pidgey. Uh, and I think the one Pokemon I actually stick with it with is Crobat uh, because I have that connection to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I'm a sentimental silly. And like, I do end up like waiting for a Zubat to evolve to Golbat before I really start using it on things. But I think the reason it didn't piss me off is because it evolves at a low enough level and starts getting good moves that you can usually catch Zubat quite early on in the game. By the time it's a Golbat yeah. and by the time uh, it has good moves, you don't necessarily have another poison option yet yeah. unless you're sticking with a bug and because it's also flying type it it then frees up two spaces instead of having a bug and a flying type um to get those two uh types on your team yeah, or, yeah. yeah and you get stabbed with poison type moves which you don't get if you're using them from a weedle or bee drill yeah. or however far yeah. in your evolution you are I mean, I've had that. I've had that issue um, when you know when you go to like a new region and you go, okay, I'm like I like to use the the different Pokemon from that from that region. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, but then like so I in uh, Scarlet and Violet, um, I've caught uh, I've caught a Jigglypuff and I've caught a Mareep. And these yeah. are two Pokemon that I really like and know quite well um, yeah and um particularly mareep uh it's like it's like ampharos i think is an absolute beast of a pokemon and it's like it's like uh, come on like incentivize me to like use one of one of like gen nines you know electric types because yeah at the minute it's like it's like <laughs> I'm, I'm, i've just yeah no i get Asperos that till the end now 
I mean, Ian, I I used Poor Me, and I really liked. I really liked Poor Me. I thought I didn't think I was going to, especially because I had Quackwaval as my starter, and Quackwaval I think is part fighting, but it doesn't have any fighting type moves because Mega Kick is a normal type move. Yeah, which annoyed me. So my Quackwaval has like three water type moves and Mega Kick. And I only really use it against rock and fire types. I don't use it against other stuff where fighting might come in handy. Um, and then the second Pokemon on my team was a poor me, which is also fighting type. And I was like, I've got two fighting types. I don't like overlapping on. And even then, poor me has one fighting type move and a ground type move. And I use it for the ground type move a lot more than I use it for other stuff. And then... The third Pokemon I keep on my team is a Talonflame, which again is one that I have said to myself repeatedly, don't use Talonflame again, don't use Talonflame again, mix it up, try something else. And Talonflame is just such a cool Pokemon. It's so good. It's like fast and it's got these powerful flying type moves, it's got really powerful fire type moves. I think it's a beast and I... I like using it mm. and like i also used tenta no toad's cruel uh which i thought was cool as a ground and grass type um but then i'm still using my poor me for the ground type moves a lot of the mm. time like it it doesn't come in that handy really yeah. um and then i've got a grim snarl which, again, not a Gen 9 Pokemon, uh, but I think it's very cool. And I called it Nandor yeah. um, because I decided... So, you know, Annihilate, uh, yeah. the Ape evolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I decided I was going to do a What We Do in the Shadows team. So I have a Grimmsnarl called Nandor, an Annihilate called Laszlo, a Gothitelle called Nadja, yeah. and then I have a Tinker Tink as baby Colin Robinson, so it's specifically season four, yeah. where Colin Robinson's a baby with his hammer. Oh. Um, and I feel like if there was one in the game, uh, I'd wrap it up with a Chansey called Gizmo. So that would be my Shadows team. And I was putting it together, and I actually haven't used it as a consistent team, but um, I did keep Nandor on my team because he is a beast. Yeah. Uh, am I right in thinking, because I've only seen like the odd episode of it, but, you know, I, I enjoyed what I saw. Am I right in thinking Colin Robinson's the, the energy drainer? The, uh, yeah, so in so in the, in the fourth season, I will not give away too much as to why, because it's really funny to see the reveal. But in the fourth season, he's a child, like, and it's like, Mark Proch's face CGI'd onto various children's bodies and it's fucking hilarious. I feel like you need to sit down and watch it. Yeah. Maybe yeah. should we binge it when you come to London? Yeah, mate. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do that. Um I will make you watch all five seasons in however small handful of days you're here. <laughs> uh, well yes, uh, I'm very much looking forward to uh, I'm very much looking forward to being down in London because in addition to doing the show it will probably be my first time that I've not had that I've, it'll, I'm predicting it'll be almost like a bit of a of a holiday and it'll be the first time that I've felt like I've been able to have a little bit of a break since you know and like hang out and do do cool stuff since July so I'm I'm like I'm really I can definitely feel myself flagging now um um but uh, yes, I, I would very much enjoy uh, me and you just chilling on a sofa for, for uh, I don't know, 25 hours. Because I feel like that will be the amount of time that my brain needs to switch off. That sounds like a fucking vibe, mate. Yeah, mate. And, you know, you never know. I, I feel like, if possible, we could maybe do a stream. Uh, on one of those days. yeah yeah 100 percent. you know not one of these but just like a stream doing doing something cool um yeah 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 um so we uh, should so, uh, should we play the should we play the scarlet dlc together oh, and then yeah. we'll 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 fucking 
<laughs> well, um, uh, I can point out everything I fucking hate about it. I'll just sit there and be a really annoying bitch the whole time. <laughs> Not possible, mate. Not possible. <laughs> uh, well, should we have a look at the deck entries? Yeah, let's do that. Right, let's do it. Uh, okay, here's Arbok. Uh, I feel like that there is the is the classic. Um, like, I want to say that's like the Kanto markings on the. Uh... Yes, those are the OG Arbok markings. Yeah. Those are the ones that I think. You know, those of us who were introduced to Arbok with Jesse in the first generation, those are the ones that we think of first. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I say, what I've been, in, what I think has been interesting so far, is that Arbok is, I feel like, has not only been um, integral to the series enough that we've been able to speak about it so much, so but much. also that we've not really mentioned Jesse's Arbok at all at this point. Yeah, that is true. And, like, I feel like Jesse's Arbok was really important to the series mm -hmm. because it was there, like, every episode. But I don't remember any big emotional beats with Jesse's Arbok apart from when she gives it up. Yeah. So like, I think it was just kind of, like, there doing her bidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like <clears throat> once they evolve, I feel like, um, um like, Weezing is the one that that seems to get the you know the the personality arc. Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. And maybe it's partly um, to do with the voice actor. Uh, I I don't know about yourself, but I actually uh, I prefer James to Jesse as far as the the villains are concerned. Um, I mean, James James is a little like well, James. I don't love his well. I don't love his backstory. Jesse has a more sympathetic backstory, but she's a less sympathetic character, you know. Mm. Um, and James is like a privileged shithead. Who uh, don't get me wrong. There's emotional beats, but I empathise less. Um, uh, but he is like the more empathetic character in it. Like he's he gets pushed around a bit more. Like. He's a little soft boy. You want to look after him a little bit. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, Jesse's the one who like slaps you around, which is fine if you're into that. But yeah. I feel yeah. I feel like they both awakened things in people who were too young to realize what they were internalizing as children. Mm. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, James is the more kind of like vulnerable emotional character, so he's easier to connect with. Yeah. Um and I, rem I think, and also out of all of the Team Rocket Pokemon uh, of Gen 1, I think Victory Bell and Lickitung are funnier. Yeah. Like Arbok and, Arbok and Weezing were effectively there first as Ekans and Coughing. Yeah. But by the time they evolve, Lickitung and Victory Bell are on the scene as well. Mm. And I think those are a bit more memorable once there's a bigger pool of Pokemon to think about when you're thinking about Team Rocket's Pokemon. Yeah. Um, and I think when you look at them as like an arc as well, um, they also get a bit blown out of the water by uh, Mime Jr., um, Wobbuffet. Um, like, oh, Wobbuffet. Yeah. Like they, like, uh, like Chime... Uh, Chimeco, Mime G, like they make Chimeco. it into the, uh, yeah, they make it into the, um, like into the song and stuff. Whereas, uh, Arbok and Weezing don't don't make it into the song. Yeah, well, as often. James, I think I think I saw this floating around somewhere. James is the only character in the whole show that has that every time you see him catch a Pokemon, he asks the Pokemon if it wants to come with him before he catches it. Mm. Like obviously there are plenty where the rest of the main characters do that but james is the only one who's done it every single time there is at least one pokemon that everyone else has caught without asking permission first yeah and i mean the thing with jesse and james as well it's like they are both characters who you know could easily become protagonists um you know with with just some very slight narrative tweaks um yeah I, if it was revealed that they were going to do a Jesse and James um, spin-off series, I feel like there'd be a lot of people who would be up for that. 
Oh, yeah. I've seen a lot of people sort of lamenting the fact that there are new main characters in the Pokemon anime now who have been like, okay, Ash's story is over. That's fair. It was getting a bit tired anyway. But being like, oh, my God, no more Team Rocket. Like, that, like they're more worried about leaving Team Rocket behind, which I get. Yeah. Because, like, Ash's story arc was getting old, right? Because he won the Orange Islands League. So arguably it could have ended there and they could have introduced another person to generation two, uh, but they didn't. Uh, and then there's like a soft reboot halfway through. It's like Ash Ketchum is 10 years old. It's like, but he's going into his fucking fourth or whatever journey. He's not 10 years old. Um, and now they're like, he can't, like he has to lose in order to justify continuing his journey, right? And also for like the children watching, to have a role model that learns how to lose gracefully. I think that's an important lesson. I don't begrudge the writers for making Ash lose. However, losing for 25 years is too much. <laughs> then you're just a fucking loser and I'm not cheering you on anymore, dude. Like, be better. So they made Ash win. They did the Master's Journey series where he wasn't about... Um, well, he was he was about training his Pokemon to be the best. Mm. And I think having a more refined focus while Go was focusing on catching all of them uh, and making Ash the one who wants to be good at strategy and Go the one who wants to collect them all rather than have Ash try and do everything was a good decision. Mm. Um, and I feel like if they'd done... Uh, if you'd seen more of that in the comparison between Ash and his other companions earlier on, with Ash having one goal, the others having another, because mm. like Misty was, oh, I'm a water trainer and only water, like okay, but you're still doing the same thing. Yeah. And Brock was like a Pokemon breeder, but it was never really clear what that meant yeah. compared to a trainer, because he was still training and he was still a gym leader. I think they got close to it in Generation Three, where like May did the competitions, um, but I think it it was refined with Ash and Go, um, if you've seen the newest ones. So Ash got to the end of his story arc after a long time. Team Rocket didn't. They did mm. not successfully capture Pikachu, which is yeah. the only thing they ever wanted to do. Um, I haven't actually watched the last episode, so I don't know how that storyline resolves. I'm going to have to go out and find it now that I'm thinking about it. But like, if Team Rocket just you know, reach self-actualization and decide that capturing Pikachu and giving it to Giovanni isn't going to make them happy. Great. But at the same time, like, that's something that's going to be pushed into the background to solve, resolve the stories of the other characters, mm. like the more main characters. And they were a really good bit of, like, comic relief. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they had <clears throat> underneath it all they weren't bad people, hmm. right? They were making the choices they felt the need to make because of their situations. And you get that when you learn their backstories and you see glimmers of that in the way they treat their Pokemon, the way they treat each other sometimes. Like when when James gives up his, his bottle cap collection for Meowth, yeah. oh, I cried. Oh, I cried so much. Um, I wish someone would love me like that. Like James loves Meowth. Um, and and like you know how in all of the like big ticket uh like in the films you know the big ticket world ending things they always come through and they're on the right side of history you know even if they don't get the appreciation for it because they did their bit in the background and you lo you can't help that like team rocket are anti-heroes they're not just villains like mm. you want to follow along with them you want to see what they're doing and I do not blame people for missing them more than like Ash and the team. Like literally, there's a whole bit where Ash wins in the like the last competition he ever does, mm. where like his mum's watching at home on TV, but Team Rocket have gone into the stands to see him do his last ever battle, and it's like your own fucking mum didn't come and see you, but your enemies did. What mm. fucking legends! Yeah. Like they're good people. They're yeah. good people, really. Yes. Well, I um, I, I've got like a tiny headcanon, which is that uh, like part of the reason why Ash's Pikachu gets so 
get so strong is because uh, Team Rocket keep basically leveling him up. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I imagine he's, you know, he must battle them at least like once or twice, like every other episode. And it's mm -hmm. like so it's like of all the of all the battles that Ash has and Pikachu has, like you can cut that in half without them. Yeah. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. And if um, and if it works in the same way that, that like the games do, he's getting EXP for every single one of those. Um Yeah, no, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And um I think <laughs> yeah i think i think i like these ones where we get to talk about team rocket a bit more because they're very cool yeah i think team rocket are yeah. punk as well like team rocket are like like give no fucks gender bending yeah. outsiders and i can't imagine like <laughs> Why anyone I know would identify with that? <laughs> oh, the same here, the same here. I, I don't know why I'd, uh, why I'd, uh, you know, relate to James uh, as the little, uh, the little soft boy that he is. Um, uh, I do love that. There's just absolutely no, like when, like when. So the bit where like Jesse's in the ringmaster costume and James is in the tutu. I love that there's just like absolutely no question that that's how they're going to dress. Yeah. There's no like, oh, which one's going to be in the pretty dress? Like, obviously it's James. And like, it's not challenged. It's not even seen as something to poke fun at, which yeah. is a big thing in the yeah. 90s. It was just, that's how they want to be. And they fucking nail it every single time. Yeah, they do. Like, um... I think there was one where they were doing like a, a, a Queen, a Marie Antoinette vibe and like they'd tried the um they'd tried the artwork of the dress they wanted and we're just like it looks so much better on james we like we can't justify putting it on jesse when it looks so much better on james and you know that's that's just the way it is some uh some boys look mm -hmm. good in dresses so be it yeah jake like like i feel like there are lots of things about james that are still like traditionally masculine and things about Jesse that are traditionally feminine, but neither of them are afraid to embrace the other end of their personality, yeah. which like is more than you can say for Ash. Yeah. Look at the way he approached Erica's gym, like a little pig. <laughs> there we go. This is how Ash Ketchum gets cancelled. <sighs> right. Yeah. Anyway, our box Pokedex entries, which we said we were going to do about twenty minutes ago. Yes, uh, honestly, every, uh, you know we mentioned this on loads of the episodes, but like before the episodes were normally like, yeah, this this one won't take very long, and here we are, x amount of hours later. Uh, do you remember when we first came up with this concept, and we we because we did the di Pokemon deep dive on Social Distance Warriors, and then we went, hey. Let's do another episode where we just go through them Pokemon by Pokemon and talk about our hot takes. And we thought we would get through every Pokemon in one day. Yeah. Before, oh, some we'll have a little chat about and some we won't really say much. There is literally not a single Pokemon we haven't waffled on for fucking ages. But, you know, that's uh, we know that that's, what, that's what, our, what our listeners and watchers love about this channel. So, you know. We, we know what we're like now. <laughs> <laughs> We are. Uh, we know we can't be trusted to keep it concise. Yeah, we're we're basically a, a, this podcast is becoming an advert for ADHD medication. <laughs> oh, it is, isn't it? <laughs> right. And on that note, uh, we've got Pokemon Red and Green, which is another one where it is translated and is put Ooh. back into yeah, Fire Red. So let's see if this can live up to the hype. Um, it is rumoured that the ferocious warning markings on its belly differ from area to area. Oh, so they'd already seeded that, like, in the very first generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then Yellow goes on to elaborate. The frightening patterns on its belly have been studied. Six variations have been confirmed. Yeah. Uh, so in Gen 1, there were six that were known of. And obviously that then progresses through the generations 
Um, we're sticking with the frightening pattern for Stadium. If it encounters an enemy, it raises its head, intimidating the opponent with the frightening pattern on its body. I like that. That gives us a bit more context on how the pattern is used rather than there just is one. Yeah. Well, Stadium Professor's pulling his finger out. Well, my, my thoughts is... Uh because uh, we know what Stadium Professor's like now. I feel like mm -hmm. that Arbok viewed Stadium Professor as the enemy. I, yeah, maybe, maybe. I think he was on his best behaviour when he wrote this one. But I feel like he, yeah, he probably had the most experience with an Arbok, like, rearing up and bearing its chest at him. Because, uh, I don't know, maybe he fed Arbok babies to someone else. Who knows? Yeah, well, we know that he's... He's up for anything. Feeding the Spiro babies, yeah. Probably going, All right. are you going to call me fucking stubby? <laughs> <laughs> um, so gold, again, gives us more context. Transfixing prey with the face-like pattern on its belly, it binds and poisons the frightened victim. Uh, I love that I love that there's, like, no, no ambiguity. Like, everything that comes near an Arbok is fucking terrified. Yeah. Um, and again, I, I feel like this is more detail. Like, I feel like Stadium Professor has been threatened mm. by the Arbok in his care, but Gold Professor has actually watched an Arbok deal with, like, prey in the wild. Like, yeah. those are the contrasting attitudes I'm getting from these different yeah. entries. Uh, am I right in thinking that one of Arbok's um moves is scary face yeah so that's... it's got like you know scary face glare all those ones that mean look all those ones that are based on like looking scary yeah so uh so this is all linked to the to the face pattern yeah and i also like the the transfixing you know as if it's got like a hypnotic mm. quality to it i feel like that's where i was thinking about the jafar cobra staff because that had hypno hypnotic powers yeah yeah and uh, they had to smash it to get the Sultan from being unhypnotized. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's probably why I was thinking Arbok and the, as well as the hood. Yeah. Maybe that's what yeah. I had in mind when I was, I was trying to pull out an Aladdin reference for my drawing. Yeah. Well, maybe, <laughs> right. maybe I had also subconsciously uh, picked up on the hypnotic. Uh, element to it. I mean, yeah, I mean there may be some. I mean maybe it's like culturally there is uh, some cultures where they uh, mention that it is hypnotic. Snakes are hypnotic. You know, you got like you mm. got like uh, uh, snake charming and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. So maybe it's like there's a subconscious amount of hypnotism with snakes anyway that it's tapping into too. I think that's very, very plausible. Yeah. Um, so, Silver goes on to say, with a vengeful nature, with a very vengeful nature, it won't give up the chase, no matter how far, once it targets its prey. I feel like this is not the first Pokemon we've come across that has had its, like, dedication referenced in a similar manner. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to say, is it Pharaoh? who might have also been yeah vengeful. i think fero and arbok would have some kind of like camaraderie i could see them getting along yeah well it wouldn't um, surprise me if there is some trainer in one of the games that has got a fero and an arbok yeah for sure um but um, but yeah it's uh, do you know what i'm getting the feeling right and uh, you know i've not got anything to base it on but how Ekins's uh, deck centuries came across versus this. It feels like they came up with Arbok and they've got loads of lore around it, and they were like, "Well, we can't just have this massive snake be like a one, uh, an only like evolve uh, a single mm. evolution." Um, so let's give it a, a like a pre-evolution that it grows into, because otherwise we're going to have to like make it it's like stats like off the chain. Whereas this is yes. something that we want to give to to the villains, uh, so maybe they went okay. So they've all got our box, and then they went well. We need to have like a, a pre-evolution or give our box something to evolve into. Uh, Just a little baby regular snake. Yeah. So I don't know. Like like I say, I haven't got anything to base it on, but it feels like maybe they came up with our box first, and then came up with Ekins for it to turn into. I can I can see that being being possible. Yeah. So Crystal says, 
To intimidate foes, it spreads its chest wide and makes eerie sounds by expelling air from its mouth. That's just a snake, that though. That is just a snake, but also I think that ties into because like Jesse's Arbok was quite a shouty boy. Yeah. Because he had, he sounded like he had quite a bit of lung power. He had that quite distinct like <laughs> noise. So I guess, I guess that. I wouldn't say it's that, like, scary, but I guess it could be if uh, under the right circumstances. Yeah. Well, um, let's see what Stadium Professor 2's up to. Same as gold. Stadium Profe Stadium 2 is a uh, copy in someone's work. Yeah. <laughs> God. I, I preferred it back when he was cracking open Metapods. Yep. Yeah. Um, Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald, we're back onto the dick swinging, which is always my favourite bit of these entries. Yeah. This Pokemon is terrifically strong in order to constrict things with its body. It can even flatten steel oil drums. Once Arbok wraps its body around its foe, escaping its crunching embrace is impossible. That feels like something <laughs> that feels like something that they told because we know that he's a furry. We know that he yeah. you know oh beautiful plumage. I imagine that that is something that they were told so that it it's like no you don't want to be you don't want to be sticking an arbok all over yourself generation 3. Uh, yeah, I re well like the the language of it it's it's terrifically strong. Yeah. Right? It's not like horrifically strong or ferociously or terrifyingly, it's terrific. Which is usually a positive. I think someone's got like a like a, a, a con compression kink. Yeah, yeah. I reckon furry professors like found a way to be horny for Arbok. Yeah, oh totally. Like this whole it can <clears throat> like the only reason why Generation Three Professor wasn't taking all their clothes off is because it was it was wrapping up around steel drums and it's like <laughs> I bet I'd I bet I'd just admire from afar. At, um, death grip Arbok. <laughs> uh, I mean, that is that is an issue, that, isn't it? Uh, do you have the death grip from uh, from spending too much time on on Pokey Hub and uh, having Arbok sliver all over you? Maybe you need some relationship therapy. Oh, uh, I'm not proud of myself, but I've done it now. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Generation Three Professor said. Um, <laughs> why, is, why is this lab all sticky? Never, never mind. Never mind. Why is that steel drum flattened? <laughs> never mind. It don't matter. Why have you got that ball gag in your mouth? Never mind. Uh, poker ball gag. Uh, oh, very good, very good. <laughs> um, okay. Alright. So, Fire Red, this is the one that was originally in Japanese. Uh, the pattern on its belly appears to be a frightening face. Weak foes will flee at the sight of the pattern. I think that that it, makes sense. Ties into um, intimidate yeah. as a because because yeah. you um, using that that pokeball gag. Uh, I was just like, I, like my mind has just immediately gone to like all the ball puns now. <laughs> That's on you, that mate. That is on you. <laughs> Is it on me? It is, is yeah. Pokeball torture. Master ball. I'm just. Uh, Gen three professor is an absolute, absolute honourable bastard. Yeah, he is an absolute. <laughs> he's an absolute. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they didn't bring him back for generation four maybe that's the reason why gen four is like so like we found it to be like quite repetitious maybe it's because because like gen four they were like they were like we can't go back to gen three professor we've got to get another fucking professor this was too horny <laughs> right, just get gen two <laughs> professor back please for the love of god <laughs> uh, um Leaf Green goes back to it is rumored that the ferocious warning markings differ from area to area. That, uh, that, okay, so we now know that Gen Three Professor had been fired by Leaf Green. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so having to repeat, they're going, they're going, just copy and paste, copy and paste until we, until we get to the end of the lawsuit. <laughs> 
Uh, Diamond and Pearl says, the pattern on its belly is for intimidation. It constricts foes when they are frozen in fear. Again, I think that ties into a lot of its move pool. I think that, that makes a lot of sense. I think that Gen 3 Professor was frozen in fear. That's how they know that. <laughs> I think it was frozen with something else. Whee! <laughs> um, uh, Heart, Gold and Soul, Silver are the same as Gold and Silver. Yeah, because they've got a, uh, they're copying and pasting until the end of the uh, yeah. until the end of the tribunal. Black and white are the same as Diamond and Pearl. Tribunal still going uh, up. X is X is the same as Fire Red, which is the Japanese one again. Yeah. Um, y is the same as Crystal. Um, okay, so Omega Ruby and Alpha, Omega, Mo Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is the horny Gen Three Professor returned. Yeah. Um, but he's he's lost. He's like he's lost all of his passion at this point because he's uh, yeah he's, he's copying and pasting his old work. He's plagiarizing himself. Yeah, because because he's, um, he's like, well, if I can't if I can't touch him, I'm not fucking I'm not fucking writing about him. So. Ultra Sun is the one that shows progression between the generations. Yeah, because he's been so fired the latest research. <laughs> yeah, finally someone's <laughs> doing some fucking work instead of just like... Instead uh, of just getting off. Pokemon. Um, Ultra Sun says the latest research for research has finally been done. That isn't about how hard it can squeeze you. <laughs> ah! <It's> determined... <laughs> That there are over 20 possible arrangements of the patterns on its stomach which let's go Eevee and let's go Pikachu which is the same generation still says six variations so you can see how the different times and the different regions people are doing different work yeah. and I think that's pretty cool yeah. I like this yeah. um, I bet you they I, also, I bet oh, you they've both got like a whatsapp group going Going, uh, yeah. uh, hi, this is this is the, well, I found this, 20. yeah this is the professor group uh, it's like uh gen three professor was removed by gen by gen one professor um and it's like uh, we don't talk about gen three professor anymore gen seven <laughs> hello um um ultra moon is creepy as shit after stunning its opponents with the pattern on its stomach it quickly wraps them up in its body and waits for them to stop moving. Yeah, that's that's a uh, that's hmm. That is a graphic description. Yeah. Uh, diamond and pearl, brilliant diamond and shining pearl goes back to the same as diamond and pearl. Scarlet goes back to fire red. Violet uh, goes back briefly to its vengeful nature but instead of saying its vengeful nature it says it's very tenacious and then goes on about how it won't give up the chase so yeah. we're copying and pasting again yeah. but yeah i do feel like uh yeah gen 3 professor threw a fucking horny spanner into the works oh, on that yeah. one. Oh yeah they, uh, we, we are on to you gen 3 professor and i'm glad that we're doing this podcast just to see the absolute vileness of, of... <laughs> your work uh, something that i have noticed eyes on you. yeah uh, all eyes on you indeed you're fucking ripping open metapods feeding fucking stealing eggs and getting naked and allowing our box to crush you hidden in plain sight um my my question although off off uh track slightly um you'll probably know what this is Kitakami, is that the name of the new region? That is the name of the island that you visit on the new region's DLC. Okay, okay, so that was the first thing that I wanted to ask. And then the second thing I wanted to ask is, so it's got 19 next to it, and we know from us doing this podcast, it's actually Pokemon number 24. So does it, does the well, Kitakami be in decks... the Kitakami Pokedex, so in each... It, so when you look at the different dex entries, it tells you where in that specific Pokedex. So like it's 24 in total, but obviously if you're looking at say like a Sinnoh Pokedex, yeah, like Bulbasaur isn't number one, yeah, but it is in the Kanto Pokedex. It's the same. It's in specific order of that region where it appears. Yes. Well, the thing that that I thought was like, it's it's just odd that they bumped it up like five spaces. So I was like, when I saw Kitakami, and then I was like, okay, so that must be basically the Kanto decks 
but if it's 19, then it's mm. not the Kanto decks. It's it's not. Like, the first Pokemon you come across are Yanma and Poochyena. So, it's a mishmash of oh. different generations. Oh, well... And is it is it all the big hitters? No. There are some there are some big hitters and there are some that just sort of like fade into the background. Oh, well there you go. Yeah. yeah. I did like Sinister and Poltergeist. But for all the same reasons I liked Sinister and Poltergeist. Yeah. All the same reasons. Yeah. Great puns wasn't a different enough Pokemon to justify introducing it so soon after Sinistee and Poltergeist, I don't think. Yeah. But I do like those Pokemon because I'm easily pleased. Uh, I am, uh, I am, uh, what's the word? Dead inside, so uh, I'm <laughs> easily you don't, You don't like a little T-pun ghosty boy? Well, I don't like, I don't, right. Now, this might be the thing that gets me fired from my own podcast. Uh, I, I don't really like drinking tea. Oh, my gosh. I know. I know. Uh, it was one of those things where when I, was, when I was younger, it always struck me as like something that like older people did. And then I remember when I was in school, uh, people would be drinking like cups of tea, like 13-year-olds drinking cups of tea, and I always thought it was really... I still thought it was odd. Um, I feel like it's less odd than 13-year-old drinking coffee, which is what they do now. Is that what they do? I don't know. Yeah, like you get teenagers popping into Starbucks. I'm like, why do you need that much caffeine? You already have all the energy you're ever going to have. That's true. That is true. Uh, I mean, I do. I am fond of an energy drink. Um, and I was even back then. Oh, you're you're twelve, Tom. You are twelve years old. Do you know what? Right, I remember when I used to work in retail. So I'd have been about seventeen or yeah, eighteen when this happened. I remember my drinking energy drinks got to the point where I, uh, in one shift, I had one eight-hour shift. I drank ten like relentless cans. How are you alive? I don't know. I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if this podcast isn't really happening and this is just me. <laughs> foaming You're at hallucinating all of this. Yeah, as an 18 year old <clears throat> on a shop floor right now. Um, but should we have a look at the smog on? Let's have a look at some smog on. Okie doke. So, uh, okay, so it's untiered, unlike. Uh, unlike Ekins, which actually made its way into the Little Cup. Uh, I really like the animation that they've used here. I think that that's pretty cool. I feel like that's got a better animation than the uh, um, than the Ekins had. Uh, got high mm-hmm. high attack, well, me- medium, decent uh, attack, uh, and somewhat decent speed. HP's not great. Uh, you'd have thought it'd be a tiny bit more of a heavy hitter. Um, but okay stats, but obviously not enough to uh, get it to be used competitively, which I do. I mean, we've yeah, me- yeah, we've mentioned it on this podcast before. I think a lot of the two stage Pokemon do struggle with that. I think, yeah, and I think Arbok is one of those unique ones where it's got a pretty distinct move pool that is designed for strategic use, yeah, like if you're just smashing your way through the game you're not going to use an Arbok but it does have a move pool that is designed for like setting up a big payoff because you know if you have like stockpile and swallow and spit up and your Arbok is enough of a tank that it can withstand a few hits which obviously it doesn't have the best HP so you need to know how to use it that that moveset is very specifically designed um to be one that you plot in advance so i feel like it'd probably do better in like double or even triple battles where it's got something supporting it yeah in order to make the best uh most effective use of those options but 
yeah, I feel like using it on its own, it it just isn't powerful enough to, um, like, be worth using in a lot of situations. I think if you love Arbok, if Arbok is your favourite, if you really bonded with Jesse's one originally and now you always want it on your team, you will find um, a way to use it. But... Uh, those options available to you aren't enough to convince someone to use it if they didn't really want to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think uh, so. Looking at this screen, it's also making me go. Uh, uh, two two thoughts have popped into my head. First of all, that it's single type poison. I'm I'm surprised that you know when they went back and like retyped some of them, that uh, that they didn't go for poison dart type. I feel like that would have. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that would have suited it quite well. Um, but also, uh, when I think about like Weezing, because Weezing got like variants, um, and other Pokemon have been given additional um, additional uh, evolutions. I'm surprised that Arbok has not been given the same, the same uh, almost yeah. almost reformatting. Yeah, I think if there was like a, a version of the game where you could catch... You know how, like, Spinder is... Every single Spinder looks different? Yeah. I feel like if there was a game somewhere where you could catch all the different patterned Arbox, I think that was really cool. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that'd be pretty pretty sick. Oh, you know, they they sometimes do that where you can, like, trade them in uh, like, yeah. in the game and get, and get the other variants. Then, because it's not like a a variant with like a new type or a, a distinctly new look i think they probably wouldn't do that which is why i use spinder because the spinders are not different the spinders are the same pokemon but they just generated it so the patterns on it were different every time yeah which like you can do for arbok uh so i don't see why they don't yeah and there could be like i reckon it'd be really great if like there was a a bit in a future game with where there's like a, a snake expert who's like, I love snake Pokemon. My house is full of Ekans and Arbok and Surviper and Onyx and anything else that looks even remotely like a snake. Mm. Uh, there's like an Electros because he thought it was a snake and didn't realize it was an eel until he'd already made friends with it. Like yeah. that sort of thing. And he sets you a challenge, like, go out and bring him all the different designs of Arbok that uh, you can find. Mm -hmm. And then there's, like, you know, they're scattered all over the map. And then there's, like, only one with a very mm -hmm. distinct, rare thing. And if you show him that one, he gives you, like, a big prize. Yeah. I reckon that would be a cool yeah. little side quest to have in a... A Pokemon game. They should hire us to make Pokemon games. Yeah. Damn it. Well, they should hire us to do their Beyond the Pokedex or whatever, whatever the series is called. They should hire us to I do have so not much. Seen or heard anything else about that show since the first one, where we were all like, "Oh, it's taking our bit," and it was shit. Yeah. I've not seen or heard anything else since, and it's like I'm following plenty of like Pokemon content-based like places so that i am up to date on things we might want to talk about on here haven't heard a fucking thing about that show yeah uh you know this is a, that's the kind of longevity that listening to the talking rubbish podcast uh, uh gives you i mean we're already in series two um soon to be series 200 so you know keep, yeah yeah keep on keep on listening listening in um uh, i so i got two thoughts that pops up when she, while she was telling me that first of all you know how so you like to have a living dex um and um and aim to collect all the pokedex um whereas i i don't have the patience for that uh, and i've only ever <laughs> I, well yeah I've, I've, i have to be honest with myself i will never ever catch them all um but I... Hey, I was I was working on a living shiny deck for Alpha Sapphire, and I was doing pretty good. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So yeah. my, my first question is: when when you are creating your living decks, does it include variants? Do you have different? It does. Uh, yes. So do you have different R box as part of your living decks? 
if I can find them, I don't know if there's been a game where you can get lots of different ones yet. So does that mean that you have to like trade on? You have to trade in. Yeah, like I would. I definitely would uh, try and get all of the R box that were available. Yeah. Um. And then does your living shiny decks also <clears throat> extend to variations of things like Spinder and Arbok? So in not shiny Spinder forms? because every single Spinder is different. It is impossible to get a shiny of every single design of Spinder. But Pokemon that do have variants, that I would, yes, do a shiny variant of all of them. Um, I'm thinking things like yeah, because, like, Spinarak has a face on its back. I think if Spinarak had a cute, like, different types of faces, depending on where it was, I think that would be cute, and I would go and get all of the different Spinaraks as shinies. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, so let's have a final look, see if it says anything about, uh, about, so, about Arbok before we give it our own, um, uh, notes. So... Despite not suffering from competition as a coil user having decent abilities and a nice move pool, Arbok struggles to find its place. It, uh, its only average attack and speed and mediocre bulk make it a bad setup sweeper, uh, gives it a, bad, a hard time setting up and leave it easily revenge killed and walled by metagame staples such as Oricorio E and Jellicent. So... It looks like yeah. it's been uh, just one of those ones that you probably would not, unless you were, like what you are saying, yeah. particularly attached. Yeah, if you've got a personal emotional connection to it, you'll play with Arbok, much like Gen 3 Professor did. Yeah, yeah. However, if, yeah, if not, it does get pushed aside for other options, unfortunately. Which is a shame because I do think of it as like a fundamental part of kind of my early memories of Pokemon, but I don't play with it either. I can't blame other people for not playing with it. No. So, uh, do you have a, a Talking Trubbish rating? I think I'm going to stick with a five for Arbok because while it doesn't have the emotional insight that Ekin did it does have better quality Pokedex entries so I think that balances out the difference yeah I say I'm actually going to give it a six okay uh, because I felt like it did much better than Ekin's did uh, in terms of memory uh, uh, in terms of the variations in terms of the law um, I feel like it's it's a bigger staple in the early anime, uh, although it's not it's not quite as big of a staple as as Weezing and Victory Bell. Um, but yes, I'm gonna give it a six. Uh, but I don't feel like I could give it any higher than a six. I think that's valid. 